Hello, and welcome back to the UFO and Aliens podcast. I'm your host, Rick Black, and I have an interesting story for you today. In Aztec, New Mexico, out in the desert, in the middle of nowhere, there's a sign. Well, it's a plaque on top of a post that is four by four, and it looks about as out of place as a milk bucket under a bull. The plaque reads, Recovery at Heart Canyon. On or about this site, on March 25, 1948, a spacecraft of origins unknown crashed or landed on this mesa. It is alleged the Los Alamos radar station in nearby Elvado, New Mexico, tracked the errant landing to this site. A high-security recovery operation, led by the Air Force and 5th Army Division, was responsible for the removal of this craft. The recovery operation took approximately two weeks, with all the remains being taken to Los Alamos Laboratory for scientific study and evaluation by some of the world's leading scientists. Later, it was reported to be taken to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. The recovery of this craft by the U.S. government and military was one of the most secretive recoveries of a spacecraft with origins unknown since the similar recoveries in Roswell, New Mexico, eight months earlier. The spacecraft was approximately 100 feet in diameter and 18 feet tall. It was one of the most intact crafts that the government had recovered at the time. Sadly, all occupants, as many as 16, died as a result of the crash, making the full disclosure of both purpose and origin all but impossible. This plaque has been placed here to bring awareness to an event that has been kept secret for 59 years and is a significant part of our nation's history. Scott and Suzanne Ramsey, March 25, 2007 Many people claim that this is the other Roswell. It was in Aztec, New Mexico, which is about two and a half hours northwest of Albuquerque. It is close to the Four Corners area where Utah, Colorado, New Mexico, and Arizona meet. According to some, there was a UFO crash there in 1948, about eight months after the famous Roswell incident. There were 14 to 18 bodies found at the crash. It was recovered under high secrecy by the U.S. military. Apparently, the government learned its lesson from Roswell, and they were prepared with an elite, specialized team to clean up the site as efficiently as possible. You would think that the UFO crash would be the most interesting part of the story, but it isn't, at least not for me. To me, the most interesting part would be the witnesses to the event. There are two camps on this one. One camp believes it is a real event, and the other believes that it is a hoax concocted by two con artists that were working in the area. There is also the belief that it was a real event, but happened somewhere else. In 1949, author Frank Scully wrote some columns in the Daily Variety about the UFO crash at Aztec and eventually wrote a book called Behind the Flying Saucers, which came out in 1950. In the book, he talks about magnetism, the crash. He goes into great detail about what they found on the spacecraft, like food and water that was aboard, the sleeping quarters, the door to the craft, the push buttons, and so on. He claimed that the food they found were these wafers 
When they added to boiling water, it expanded so much that the pot boiled over. They fed these wafers to some guinea pigs and they thrived. He had two witnesses for all of this. One was Silas Newton and the other was Leo Gebauer. Silas Newton and Leo Gebauer supposedly introduced Scully to at least eight scientists that worked on the Aztec crash. Frank Scully took these eight people and molded them into one named Dr. G. Skeptics, like the author and UFO researcher Carl Flock, like to attack the story and say that Dr. G was Leo Gebauer. Scott Ramsey claims that Frank Scully admits in his book that Dr. G is a combination of eight scientists. I read the book, and I didn't see any mention of that. Well, it turns out that Newton and Gebauer are con men, and they are going around the Four Corners area trying to sell a doodlebug, or selling information that the doodlebug was emitting. A doodlebug is supposedly a device that will find oil and gas, but of course it doesn't. In this case, it was a machine that would find not only gas, but gold and water, and pretty much anything the Mark was interested in finding. On top of that, Gebauer had invented something similar that would also assess the health of a person. So this was an all-in-one, do-it-all kind of thing. What made their doodlebug better than anybody else's is that they were using technology taken from the flying saucer that crashed near Aztec. So it was better, of course. Gebauer was supposedly a magnetics expert and was one of those called in by the Air Force when they tracked and eventually found where it landed. Carl Flock said that he was actually an electrical engineer or more a glorified electrician. The craft didn't crash. It actually floated to the ground. It was presumably disabled by a high-powered radar that was somewhere nearby. That was the claim. So, Frank Scully publishes some articles and a book. Then along comes J.P. Kahn, an investigative reporter from the San Francisco Chronicle. He was doing freelance work at the time. He did a four- or five-month investigation in detail, including how he was able to get a sample of the mysterious metal that Newton and Gebauer claimed was from the Flying Saucer. He had it analyzed, and it turned out to be ordinary aluminum. He published an article in Truth Magazine in 1952 and exposed the whole thing as a fraud, and this led to the district attorney in Denver, Colorado, prosecuting Newton and Gebauer for fraud and various other sorts of associated charges. They were convicted in December of 1952. After that, the whole notion of a crashed flying saucer went away. In fact, people who were taking flying saucers seriously for decades wouldn't go anywhere near this story. Who would? So, if you were on the fence about the UFO phenomenon, this story would turn you into a devout skeptic. And it did for a great many people. The story just went away. Looking into this case... I too thought for sure this was going to turn out to be something I wouldn't believe. Until Scott Ramsey comes into the picture. Scott Ramsey is from North Carolina. He's in New Mexico on business sometime in the 90s when he catches wind of the story of the UFO crash at Aztec. This piques his interest and he decides to look into this. And look into this would be an understatement because Scott does more research than anyone else that I've been able to find. According to him... This is what happened. On March 25th, 1948, a little bit after 5 a.m., there was a report. Hi. 
Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. From oil workers of a large brush fire on the Mesa off Hart Canyon Road. Because of the oil drip tanks out there at the time, people from the El Paso Oil Company were notified that they should get out there and investigate the fire and any subsequent danger it could pose. When they got out there, they noticed a large disc, about 100 feet in diameter, sitting on the mesa. The local law enforcement had warned the locals that the military had notified and would be there eventually. And a little bit after noon, they showed up. Ramsey was intrigued by the claims in the 50s made by the eight scientists that there were secret radar bases in the area, and that is what brought down the craft. So he started looking into the claims that Dr. G was telling Frank Scully and compared that to what is known now. After 50 years of getting records declassified from the Air Force and the Atomic Energy Commission, they discovered that somebody was leaking good information to Frank Scully. One was the infamous radar bases, the top-secret radar bases that were located in New Mexico. They went out searching for them in 1999 using topographical maps. And through common sense, like where would be a good place to put a radar base, they found one near Elvedo, which is 40 or 50 miles from Los Alamos. They went to Maxwell Air Force Base down near Montgomery, Alabama, and asked for the records on the radar bases. Fortunately for them, they released the records, but there was a problem. The radar bases under the Air Force didn't exist until 1950. They couldn't tie that to Aztec because the Aztec crash was in 1948. So they kept digging, and they found requisitions for needed improvements on the radar bases. The base needed a new roof. They needed a water heater. They needed some improvements in electrical work, mainly some transformers. Something was wrong here. If the base was new, why did it need all these improvements? Well, they did some more digging and finally found that the bases were actually built in 1946, but not under the Air Force, under the Atomic Energy Commission, who ran them until they turned them over to the Air Force in 1950. Aha! There were three of them. One was the Continental Divide, which is out near Gallup. They had Elvedo, which is near Chama, and Moriarty, which is due east of Albuquerque. That made a perfect triangle around Kirtland Air Force Base, Sandia National Labs, and Los Alamos. The main purpose of the radar bases was to protect the Atomic Energy Commission installations. The argument from the skeptics is... If these guys came flying across millions and millions of miles of space, or billions if they came from another star, how likely is it that they wouldn't be shielded against the kind of feeble radiation that would be coming out of our radar sites? That a race advanced enough to traverse that distance would go down like that is very unlikely. At the time of the crash, it was thought that the aliens were coming from Venus. At that time, in the 50s, we didn't know as much about other planets as we do today. 
Ufologist Stanton Friedman said regarding the UFOs going down because of the radar stations, quote, I think they may have run into the unexpected, whether it was a radar beam or all kinds of other things. Accidents happen. That's the way it is. End quote. I have to agree with Friedman. Who's to say that the craft that are crashing came all the way here in open space? They could easily have had a mothership that carried the smaller ones. The mothership would have been shielded from all kinds of rays and damaging pulses in space, but not the smaller ones. So they get here and send out the little ones and they go down. Apparently there were several crashes around this time. Local library in Aztec did some fundraising for a few years and they used the story of the UFO crash in their event. They invited UFO researchers to speak at their event, and they also invited the skeptics to voice their opinions too. You know, give everyone both sides of the story. They stopped inviting the skeptics because it became apparent very early on that the skeptics didn't do their homework. One expert researcher got up to speak and said that he could put this argument to bed once and for all with a short statement. Hart Canyon Road, where the crash allegedly took place, did not exist in 1948. Well, everyone in the town knew that this expert didn't know what he was talking about. Everyone in town knew that Hart Canyon Road goes all the way back to the 1800s when it was a stagecoach road linking Aztec to Durango. If you go out to the crash site today and followed Hart Canyon on the old stagecoach route, you come up to what they call the Arkansas Loop or the Arkansas Bend. On top of that plateau is a road cut through, allegedly by the military in 1948, to get the recovery equipment, the cranes and whatnot, down there to retrieve the craft. If you go down that mysterious road, you will find a concrete pad that is nine and a half inches thick and heavily fortified with rebar. There doesn't seem to be a reason for this concrete to be there. It is theorized that it is there to support the crane they took down there to retrieve the crashed UFO. So, I'm looking into this and I'm wondering... This is about the same time as Roswell. They are both in New Mexico. Why isn't this story as big as the Roswell story? Right now, as I'm working on this podcast, I have a friend that is in Roswell. What a coincidence. She's actually posting pictures from there, and the crash and the alien story is a huge deal. But it's not an Aztec. Well, the answer to my earlier question comes down to the newspaper. In Roswell, there was a newspaper article, and it spread to the newspapers across the entire country. In Aztec, there may have been one local article, and that disappeared from the archives, and that's it. Here's what I found most interesting, and if it's true, it's the smoking gun of evidence. There are a few witnesses to the Aztec crash. Scott Ramsey interviewed them before they passed. One was Doug Nolan. Doug grew up in the Aztec area and worked for the El Paso Oil Company. He was 19 when the crash occurred, and at that time, he was traveling in the truck with his boss, Bill Ferguson. On the radio, they were called out to Hart Canyon because of the brush fire. Upon arriving at the crash site, they were told by the other workers, it's not the brush fire you gotta see, it's what's laying up on the mesa that you gotta see. Doug said there were two police officers up there, and a bunch of locals were there as well. He could name everyone there except two men who were standing off to the side, and he didn't know one of the police officers. So he went and he talked to the young police officer, who must have been a year or two older than himself. He found out that he was from Cuba, New Mexico. 
He saw the UFO and followed it. Doug said he climbed up on the UFO with a few other oil workers. The others yelled at them to get down. Before they got down, they noticed that there was a hole in one of the portholes. Scott was lucky to get the interview from Doug. Doug was a very sick man. He had had, I think it was six strokes from October to December and died on December 7th. Scott had interviewed him in October of 2003 and said that it was a very credible interview. In the late 90s, early 2000s, Scott was contacted by a man named Ken Farley from Bat Cave, Arizona. Ken was in bad health and wanted to talk to Scott. So, Scott and his fellow researcher, Randy Barnes, met in Phoenix, rented a car, and drove up there. They talked to Ken for about three hours. Ken said that years ago, back in 1948, he had just gotten out of the military and was in Durango passing through to San Diego. He met his friend in Cedar Hill. His friend was going with him to San Diego. His friend said there was a lot of commotion going on out in Hart Canyon Road and that they thought an aircraft had gone down. So they decided to check it out. They got to the crash site and walked to the western edge where the disc was. At that point, a group of people from Aztec, the oil field people, were already there, plus two law enforcement officers. He said they saw people crawling on the spacecraft and that other people were telling them to get down. Then the military showed up. How plausible is it to believe that witnesses can remember the event with such detail? What fascinates me, if this is true, of course, is that one witness says, I knew everyone there except two strangers, and the other witnesses and his friend fit the description of the two strangers, and all the other details from the witnesses match. Smoking gun, case closed. In the winter of 2002, Scott was contacted by a man named Glenn Pace. Glenn was born and raised in the Farmington area. In 1948, he was a paperboy, and he remembered delivering papers a day or two after the Aztec crash. The article on the cover of the paper referred to ranchers finding a disc on a ranch in Hart Canyon. There were a few years where there was no microfish at the paper. This, unfortunately, happened to be one of those years. Go figure. Years later, Glenn Pace was working down at White Sands Missile Range, which is now White Sands Proving Ground and he befriended an old man named Otto Krauss, who was a well-known scientist of his day. Otto told Glenn that he was somehow involved in the Aztec recovery. He said the Aztec recovery was one of the best ones the military has ever done, using words like, we didn't botch it like Roswell. It kind of makes you think, how many recoveries were there? There's a new story out about a whistleblower saying that the military has been covering up UFO crashes. So I'm going to have to look into that. Going on. Another witness, Fred Reed, contacted Scott. In 1948, Fred worked for the OSS. The OSS was the predecessor to the CIA. Fred and his crew were dispatched to the Aztec crash site after the crash was removed. There was no discussion of a UFO or a flying disc. They were told to go out and do a final cleanup of the site and to absolutely map and survey with great precision the entire area. Fred thought that a plane had crashed. They got up there and they saw a lot of heavy equipment tracks. They saw K-ration cans and whatnot. They swept away all of the tracks and buried the cans 18 inches deep as per regulation and tried to make it look like nothing had happened there. 
Scott actually found a K-ration can about 18 inches down in the soil. Anyway, years later, Fred was talking to some senior officers about what had happened out at Aztec, and it was alluded to that it was a rather large flying disc. Fred always had a question about the cut-in road and the concrete slab. Fred said in 1948 that it was a fresh-cut road. So why didn't anyone come forward as a witness when this happened in 1948? One possible answer is that when the military showed up, they threatened the witnesses that if they ever told anybody about what they saw here, they would disappear, or their families would disappear, that sort of thing. There was a granddaughter of a witness that told us how her grandmother told her in secret what the family knew about the crash at Roswell, and they were threatened with their lives if they ever told anybody what they had witnessed. It's hard to brush this away after listening to or reading about the witnesses. But when you bring in the con artists Newton and Gebauer, it clouds the whole thing. So this turned off a lot of researchers. They didn't want to go looking into this only to find out that it was a hoax. That would be a huge waste of time and energy. But on the other hand, just because you have these two trying to profit off a of supposed alien technology doesn't mean it didn't happen. And what was going on in New Mexico during this time? Right after the Aztec crash, there was the Farmington Armada. The headline in the Farmington Daily Times, March 18, 1950. Huge saucer armada jolts Farmington. From March 16th through March 18th in 1950, the city experienced a mass UFO sighting, with some reports indicating hundreds of residents saw strange objects in the sky in broad daylight over a three-day period. All of the UFOs were silver in color, except for one that seemed to be leading the rest. It was bright red. What's interesting to me is that at one point, the objects were led away to the east by the red craft, and shortly after that, in Las Vegas, New Mexico, a group of postal workers reported seeing a group of UFOs, including a bright red one. Now this is happening not too long after the Aztec crash. Were the craft looking for their comrades? Were they aware of the crash and flying in some sort of salute? Or were they possibly putting on a show of force for the earthlings? It's hard to say. There are a lot of witnesses to this one. Is it a mass hallucination? I don't think so. Flock of birds? Swamp gas? Ball lightning? Remember, you can believe what you want to believe. You don't have to believe me or anyone else. You can make up your own mind. Or you can just say, I don't know. That's okay. Believe none of what you hear and half of what you read. If you like the show, I would like to encourage you to help support the show. You can help me out with just $3 a month. Just go to the website and click on support. I would really appreciate the help, and I would be happy to give you a shout out. Do you have a UFO story that you'd like to share? Is there a UFO story that you'd like me to look into? Just email me at UFO and Aliens Podcast at gmail.com. I'm Rick Black, and I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>